Welcome to the podcast dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road and Coach Jonathan Lean. We have a special episode for us here today. We have Erica Carney with us. How are you doing, Erica? Doing awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to intro Erica really quickly and just give you uh, some background on who she is. Uh, she's currently a, a fourth grade teacher, but she's also a retired pro cyclist and past pro crit national champion, but also has a whole lot of achievements as well. Two U U23 crit titles, one elite crit national championship, like I mentioned. And you also say after many years of podiuming or crashing out, um, several co collegiate national titles on the road and track, and you won the only elite track national championship, um, in the missing now or in 2014 track nationals, um, which is really cool. So <laughs> you have had a, a really successful career. And, um, this is one, actually I spoke with Amber, um, about you, Amber Pierce, who's usually on this podcast. And she was talking about her admiration for you for being such a good finisher in races, but then also for not being, uh, like she said, it's sometimes sprinters can adopt that diva personality where they're kind of like, if it's my finish, it's my finish. And that's all I care about. But she said that you were exemplary and also being a great team member and helping everybody out and just being awesome. So uh, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and thank you for coming on. Um, so now you're teaching fourth grade. So we're going to be looking back at your career now. And I actually kind of want to start things off by a quote that I heard when you won your 2017, the 2017, um, national championship, crit championship, super cool. You mentioned that you had been working toward that for your whole career. So like that seems somewhat logical, of course, like everybody always is trying to reach to the top, but you've been trying for a long time. So what did you actually mean by saying that? Um, it's a funny question. It's kind of loaded too, because I feel like I've had conversations with friends and other people. And when they realize that I've only won one elite career, title in my whole time that I was racing, they're kind of shocked. Like I've been around for a long time and I've won a lot of bike races, but this national championship has been sort of elusive and always just out of reach. Um, and so, you know, I started racing, gosh, back in 2006, I signed my first pro contract for 2008. Um, and then just like really developed my crit skills and became, you know, excelled at criteriums. And so the goal was always to win a national title there. But, um, there were a few years in there that I decided not to go because it just didn't fit well, um, either in my schedule or the course didn't seem like it was going to be suited to my style of riding. Um, and I just year after year, when I finally got consistent at going to the event, I would either, um, gosh, there was one year I got second, um, and I just didn't play the finish right. My, my coach, my husband at the time, Jamie Carney told me exactly how to do the finish and I just messed it up. And so I ended up getting second or third. I think it was actually third. Um, and there were just so many years like that where I either just made a tactical mistake, right. That I'd like had a perfect race and then just had a mistake at the end, um, crashed out. And I just year after year, wasn't able to attain that title into two till 2017 when it all kind of fell into place, which even then, um, was sort of one of the most memorable races I ever did because there were so many crashes that, uh, Lauren Stevens and I were off the front and we got stopped multiple times. We had to restart, I think at least twice. Um, oh, and so wow. I was like, man, I finally make the winning break in nationals and it's like stacked against me again. So it was really that it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Yes. Did that, I want to dig into this a little bit more. This is super interesting because, uh, it doesn't have to be a national championship, but sometimes we have some sort of achievement and we get so close, but we just miss it for one reason or another. And those reasons can vary that sometimes it starts to take on an identity of its own and like, kind of like be its own obstacle. Did you struggle at all with that? Like, did you ever struggle with the doubt of ever being able to achieve it? And did it kind of bring on in its, its own sort of intimidation? Absolutely. Um, you know, I can think all the way back to 2006 racing the elite national championships when they were in Downers Grove, Illinois. And I was like a U23 rider, but nobody really knew who I was. And I had an amazing race. And, you know, there's a time in a race where you're, you know, you fight for a wheel and there's a time when maybe you shouldn't fight for a wheel. And I was, um, I think I was on 
I don't remember who I was on. It was like Tina Pick or Laura Van Gilder, you know, some of the hot names back then. And I was following Anna Lang up and I got pinched off and I was refusing to give up the wheel. And I actually got pinched to the point where I got taken out and it was like in the last lap and a half. And so I went from thinking that I was going to do this amazing thing to crashing out. And I feel like ever since then, it's just sort of carried itself over. I really did. I always knew I could do it and I could win nationals, but it just never seemed to come together. Um, Mm. And yeah, it was like almost like you said, it's sort of created its own character and identity in my career. Like like I could win all these other bike races, but nationals was just never something that was going to come to my plate. So, um, but it did at least. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's like uh, amazing to win, to be the best in the country at, it's such like a dynamic discipline of criterium racing. Like you mentioned all the crashes and just so much can happen. Um, winning the national championship, was it the result of like every year learning something new and kind of patching up a hole or adding an additional strength? And then you got to the point where you had all the necessary tools in the toolkit, so to speak, Yeah. or was it more a case of making sure that you were always ready and always there and just presenting yourself with enough opportunities? Um, gosh, this sounds sort of like egotistical, but I feel like every time I raced, I was always ready and I was always there, you know, like, I think that's one of the things I'm really good at in crits is I'm really good at positioning and I'm really good at putting myself in a place to do well. Um, so that was kind of just a given, I feel like, um, but over the years, like there's so many things, um, like crashing out. I remember in, I think it was 2015, we were in Greenville and I like infiltrated on the last lap, the UHC blue train. And I was in amazing position. And, um, I was right behind Ruth Winder who was leading out Corinne Rivera and Ruth crashed in the first turn, right. As Corinne was, um, shooting my inside and I left my inside open, which I never usually do in a crit cause you're not supposed to. And so as Ruth crashed, she took out Corinne and because Corinne shot my inside, Corinne took me out. And so we went from, yeah, winning or potentially winning crit nationals back then to being in the barriers in the last turn. <laughs> Um, so you take that and you're like, okay, that really sucked. I need to protect my inside. Um, so, you know, you take those things, those really hard lessons, um, and you carry them over for sure. And honestly, if you would have told me back then in 2017, that I would have won nationals off a breakaway with Lauren Stevens, I would have been like, you're joking. Like I'm a field sprinter. I'm really good at that. Like, but I guess over the years I have just grown and changed as a rider. Like I could still do well in field sprints, but I became stronger in breakaways. So, um, my husband actually was like, follow Lauren Stevens, wherever Lauren goes, you go. And so every time she attacked, if you go back and watch the film, you'll see, I'm always on her. Like I didn't go anywhere without her and I ended up going off the front, which was great. So, um, yeah, lots of little lessons, not little lessons, pretty big lessons over the years that finally, you know, you apply to that fine, that winning moment, which was a very exciting day. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's such a, such a cool achievement to be able to do that after, especially it's probably even sweeter after having all of those so close, but so far sort of, uh, scenarios, uh, with, so y- you started off in track racing, is that correct? Or like, was it road racing first then track racing? Nope. It was, um, track racing. I actually, my family moved to Pennsylvania near Trexler town, which has been known as the Mecca of track racing. Um, and I met a girl who in seventh grade, she was racing bikes and just did nationals. Um, and I went to watch her and then I did like a community program and started riding and got affiliated with a local group, um, who, who was coaching, you know, juniors and really just established myself in the sport on the track. And, um, from there, I was good. I didn't think anything of it, but eventually as, um, things progressed, you can't, I mean, you can make money on the track, but not as much money on the track as you can on the road. And so we transitioned my, my racing and my career to do more of the road stuff as in an effort to make a salary and to make a a career out of it. So, um, I still always raced track and I really feel like track was a huge part of why I was good in crits, um, and why I was so good on the road in general. Um, but it's just, it wasn't a, you couldn't make that much money out of it. So 
um, a little bit. It was fun, but yeah, in terms of just getting a a base salary and making some money while racing, we had to transfer to the road. So sure. Uh, what things did the track give you that made you a better bike racer? And when you were in crits? Yeah. So my very first coach actually had us, um, go on the infield of the Teton velodrome, um, in sneakers and our helmets on our bikes. And we used to just bump into each other, um, and just like shoulder each other and elbow each other and just established a really good foundation of like comfort in contact, I guess. And so I feel like that really got me, um, comfortable with that part of the bike racing and then just racing the tack. The track is so tactical. Um, you know, it's a very cognitive sport or like, uh, discipline, you know, you really have to think like in points races and missing outs, um, even in pursuits, which are not as much fun, but you have to really think about like timing your splits, right. And not going too hard. And so I feel like that really helped me develop the racing smarts that I, I got and was able to apply that to crits because track and crits aren't dissimilar in that sense. Um, and I, gosh, I did that my first ever track race. I was the racing age. I was 17 racing age or 16 racing age, 17, 18. So I got to do my, my last year, junior nationals, um, at, on the track. So I did it long enough that I guess I got enough experience to carry it over. Were there any big, like, uh, I would say weaknesses in your game that you noticed when you transferred from the track to crit racing, where you feel, felt like you had a certain skill set, but like, Whoa, this is totally foreign. And I need to get better at this. Um, I think the biggest thing that really I had to work on was the training aspect of it because you needed to have a lot more fitness to do well. Um, I feel like I could almost, I mean, maybe this is wrong, but I felt like I could almost fake it on the track. Um, but when you get into crits and you're racing those big pro teams, um, you know, back, I'm trying to remember some of them like Lipton and, uh, T-Mobile and all those teams that were around, um, and Ina Teutenberg, like she would come to town. Um, you need to have fitness for that. And I didn't necessarily love training. Um, I didn't necessarily really appreciate going hard on my own, like in a race, I would always try because I liked the glory and I like to do well, but like training was a whole nother thing. So I really had to sort of overcome the amount of workload that you have to put in to be good on the road. And even then I feel like I was, sounds so again, like full of myself, but I'm like, I'm, (laughs) athletic and I'm pretty physically talented, like just naturally an athletic person. And so there's a lot to the sport that came really easy to me. So I didn't have to train that hard to be pretty good Mm. in the beginning. So kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Like, yeah. (laughs) But I wouldn't change it because you can always train harder. It's not super easy for people to ride smart or be tactically smart in a bike race. And those things came really easy to me. Um, So yeah, I wouldn't change it because there are a lot of people who are super strong and can hold out a crazy number of Watts, like greater than me. Um, but probably d- haven't really beat me in a bike race just because the bike handling skills and the racing smart side of it aren't there. Sure. Absolutely. So, so what did you do to get over that, uh, that barrier of resistance to training? Because you had a long career, you did a lot of training and you had a successful career. So (laughs) how did you get to the, did you get to a point where you liked it or what were the kind of mechanisms or things that you did to enjoy training or have motivation to do it on your own? Um, well, so I got paired up with a group of people, um, you know, and I would go training with people, which is always good because being competitive, they would push you to do more. So like if I would go train by myself and I'm like, yeah, that was a really amazing training ride. It probably wasn't because I probably didn't really try, but you know, when you ride with other people, you get held more accountable. So I think it's just putting yourself with people who are better than you. Um, and just dealing with it and suffering along, um, a lot of my training days, especially when I lived in Arizona, were spent riding behind James wheel and just like staring at his hub, like for hours on end and it stunk and I hated it and it wasn't that much fun. Um, but we did it and it was beneficial. So, um, yeah, it's just, it sounds awful, but I really, I just was not that good on my own. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's smart. Like you said, like you recognize a weakness, but then instead of trying to make yourself like it, 
Instead, yeah. what you do is you think, okay, having people around me is what helps and you bring them in. I th- that's like, that's a very professional way to solve it and it makes sense, you know, <laughs> yeah. being, you are professional. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so along the course of your career, I'm sure that you had to do a whole lot of racing outside of just criterium racing. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have to, I mean, stage races, road stage races, what did you did you shift your responsibilities within that? We, you know, we talked to Amber on the podcast regularly and she talks about herself as a super domestic or a dom- domestique, but in reality, and many times she was kind of like a super domestique because she could also be able to get some opportunities for herself. Um, but you being a sprinter, a lot of the time we just, we never see sprinters very often unless they are at a sprint and that's kind of it. So how did you manage that shift in responsibilities when the race didn't suit you at all? What did you end up doing? Um, great question. A lot of times, you know, there's a handful of races in the United States stage races, I should say that, um, are more tailored to a rider like myself, like Joe Martin. I can, um, do pretty good at Joe Martin. I've never done Gila cause I just am not a big climber. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I've done Redlands once in my career way back in 2010, I think it was, um, never did it again. And, um, so a lot of, it was strategic. Like I knew I couldn't personally do well in certain races, but also I couldn't be an effective teammate because if I'm off the bat climbing up the Gila monster in New Mexico, I'm not, what good is that? Like, it's just not helpful. Um, so I think it was just like a lot of strategic planning. Um, and there was a time, like I can look back and I think about how my career, I was still riding really well and still doing well enough to be, um, a race finisher, but also, um, the first year I signed with rally back in 2016, I was sort of starting a transition where I was like mentoring more of the riders. Like I could still do well, but, um, I was also back in school and, um, just trying to think about things, not necessarily ready to retire yet, but thinking about things like post bike racing. And so my, time spent on the bike training wasn't as much. Um, so I was really transitioning out of that. And so it was really kind of easy to just say, okay, well, this is not really where I can excel personally, but I can be a great mentor. I can try to teach these people how to ride their bike smart, um, and, you know, give them an opportunity to, to do well. Hopefully I answered the question. I don't really remember. Exactly. Yeah. Cause that's, that's like the, uh, other side of things that we think like physically, like the, the rider is going to be in this position and helping this rider in that way. But there's so much that goes to it from the mentorship perspective. Um, especially I would say that with women's racing in many cases too, you tend to have, since there's less professional racers in a lot of cases compared to the men's fields, then you end up probably getting a lot of younger athletes coming in with athletes that are more experienced like you were at that point. So super cool opportunity to do that. Um, so what sort of courses did you really like and what sort of courses didn't you like? Um, so criterium wise, one of my I mean, I love Tulsa Tough, the race weekend itself, but one of my favorite crit courses is the Winston-Salem crit because it's a long crit course, but it's it's got hills in it and it's technical. So it's not like it really weeds out the people who can race their bike and the people who are just not quite there. Um, so in terms of like just a one day race, I love Winston-Salem um, and the road race is good too. And then um Joe Martin, honestly, I feel like for a stage race is just really good because it really has a good balance of some long climbs that allow people who climb well to do well, but also the crit is really hard, really technical. So, um, I think that's a really great race. And I mean, I've, I've personally done pretty well there, um, and been on the podium a few times, but also have been able to really help my team in other, in other ways there as well. So I feel like that's just a great event. (laughs) So you like decisive courses in terms of profile and elevation, like not one that obviously I would assume that was like, once again, these are crits. So it's not like a Gila tour of the Gila sort of thing. Right. So, but a decisive one, that one that was difficult than one that was technical. So those were the courses that you would do best on. Yeah, I think. (laughs) Did you, as a result of that, a lot of the time when courses are like that, it becomes less about teamwork, like a flat four corner industrial crit sort of a thing is many times all about like teamwork and kind of positioning and that sort of stuff. 
So were you, were you dependent upon having like a, a lead out train and everything else? Not to say that your teammates were not, um, of use to you. Certainly they were, but were you more a sprinter that was more the sort of like float the wheels and bounce from spot to spot and position yourself? Or were you reliant upon a train? I think if you look back at the different parts of my career, like, um, before I got signed on to Aaron's in 2008, um, I was an individual racer and I had some really great results, um, just on my own that sort of sparked getting signed to that. Um, and then I ended up racing for a team, um, in 2009 and I won't get into the details of that, but I ended up leaving racing for a team and just continued to race by myself. Um, I was really young. I didn't, I wasn't really happy. I didn't feel like I was getting mentored. Like I thought I should get mentored. Um, so I just went and did my own thing. And so there's a huge chunk of my career where Jame actually like created a team for me to race. And I raced a lot. I had teammates, but we raced kind of by ourselves. Um, and we were never expected to sacrifice for each other, but just didn't want to screw each other over. Um, and that was really where a majority of my success in terms of like being really good at crits happened, not to say that I got on a team and then like, I wasn't good. It's just the dynamic and the focus and the goals become different than just racing by yourself. And I was able to be a smart bike racer, ride good position, um, bounce wheel to wheel, um, you know, work off the other teams that did have lead out trains or be able to identify who might do well in a certain race and just put myself on them and either follow their wheel across the line to get second, or maybe even, you know, beat them and win. Um, and then I did that for a really long time. Um, and, then we, we ended up going into the team direction where I signed with a team and things became a little bit different. So you're not just taking care of yourself. You're looking after your teammates. Um, you're focusing on what the goal is for the team in, in general. So it kind of shifted. I've done both. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I really love about women's bike racing is that you can be successful by yourself ish to a certain degree without mm -hmm. having to have that huge team support, but they're both really great, um, environments and great situations to be in. They're just very different. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So what sort of considering the different formats of racing that you had done, the different courses, all that stuff, what sort of athlete did you try to be in terms of like, you know, power profile, were you like the 15 second smash? Were you one minute power? something within that range. And then I guess that we'll get into like how you actually train to become that athlete. Yeah. So, um, it's just kind of a funny thing. Cause like I've never trained with power. It's never been something that, um, I've needed. Um, I, like I said, I remember being at a rally camp and the SRAM guy, Dan was up there talking about the pork power meters. And he was like, who in here doesn't train with power. And I was the only one to raise my hand and everyone just like, <laughs> turned around and looked at me and I was like, okay, well that's me. <laughs> um, but my husband, Jamie Kearney, he's coached me for a really long time and he's old school in terms of like the process and how everything works. Um, and so he's, his program is very heart rate based, um, perceived effort. Um, and so that's all I've used for as long as I can remember. Um, and it's worked and I never really felt like I needed, uh, to incorporate power into my training or racing to be good at bike racing. So, um, in terms of power, I just wanted to be fast. <laughs> I wanted to be good at winning bike races. Um, but I don't actually know, like I couldn't tell you what my max power is or what my threshold or whatever, you know, yeah. I don't know any of that. So that clearly worked for you. Um, <laughs> that's the, that's the cool thing, right? Like different ways to be able to arrive at the same point. So I guess maybe framing it in a different context, <clears throat> Were you the sort of athlete that was best with a very short, hard punch at the end of a race? Uh, like what we're talking like within the last like 200 meters. So like a true pure power sprinter, or were you best further out? Um, I have to think about it for a little bit. Um, I think I was kind of good at both. Like my, my skill as a sprinter was I had a really good jump 
but my like extended over time speed was not necessarily that fast. So, um, like when I first got into the big crit scene, um, back in two, I think it was 2006, they had the tour of Georgia and it was a one day crit for the women. And then it was a huge stage race for the men. And I ended up winning that crit by myself. Um, Jane was on the radio telling me what to do. But I beat like Tina Pick and Laura Van Gilder and Sarah Ewell, which people may not remember who she is, but like a lot of really big teams were there. And um, I got the jump out on them in a downhill tailwind sprint. And that was enough to keep the distance that I won the race. And so I think I have a good jump. But what helps me is that because I'm so efficient and I ride good position and I know how to corner well and all of those things add up. So like where, you know, some people come into a race and they, um, they struggle with those things are not necessarily as efficient. Their tank over that one hour time gets reduced more quickly because they're having to jump out of corners because they're not, they're touching their brakes. You know, they're not riding good position. They're too far back. So they're getting caught in all of that accordion. So even though I'm not necessarily the fastest over time, by the end of a crit, I'm pretty fast because I'm less fatigued and I have more in my tank than other people. So I think it's kind of both, but not because I'm really fast. <laughs> right. Um, it's your efficiency. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you lined up me with like Kendall Ryan and Laura Van Gilder back when we were racing and Tina Pick and um, like Olivia Ray, they would all off the line probably beat me. But because of um, just being a good bike racer, I was faster seeming. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, um, one of the biggest things is a lot of us amateurs always think that we need to improve our sprint because we lost in a sprint, but in many cases we just rode the rest of the race inefficiently, right? Mm -hmm. If we could be yeah. more in a, or we could be more efficient, then we would have actually had a better sprint, uh, to be able to utilize that. And we all know that because in a sprint workout, we hit our highest numbers and we do the best. And then once you go into a race, you don't hit those numbers many times, right? Cause it's yeah, a no, totally absolutely. different ball game. I think too, it's, um, something that Jim really helped me do. And something he always did with me when I was first in the racing scene is we always pre-rode the course and he sort of, um, unpacked the race finish. And so we would always measure where the finish line was from the last corner. We always looked at whether it was uphill or downhill, where the wind was coming from um, and who we were, who was in the field and all of those things, you know, if it's a 400 meters from the last corner to the finish line and it's a headwind, you're not going to go out of the last corner because you're not going to be in the draft and people are going to come around you with 200 or 150 meters to go. So, um, those things matter too. Like you can have an amazing sprint, but if you don't know how to read a race and read a course, then you might not be able to actually use that great sprint at the end. So for sure. Were there specific workouts that you did that you felt like were, like key workouts that like really made a difference in making you a better bike racer. Like for sprinters, I don't know if it was like 30 thirties. I don't know if it was just pure sprints where you give yourself plenty of time or whether it was even threshold workouts where you're just spending a lot of time around threshold. Um, I've never done a 30 thirties, um, a 30 30 workout, which is funny. Um, we did do a lot of sprint work where, um, we were, Jane would like lead me out, you know, we were living in Arizona, we trained together all the time and he would lead me out and I would have to take a run at him, um, at his wheel and practice how to pass. Um, and the goal was always to have good technique, um, to pass him at the right time. So, you know, hitting peak power, if I had a power meter might be important then, but really it was just working on technique and going hard for that 200 or 250 meters that he mapped out. But, and he's probably going to get so mad at me for sharing this, but one of the things I feel like really helped me as a bike rider is he would have, he always has his athletes do fixed gear training rides. So we have fixed gear bikes with brakes on them that we take out onto the roads and we go and we don't ever, I never did like more than two and a half hours, but that was always something that, he had us do. And I feel like that was super, um, crucial in my training. And it really helped me because you're just getting such a full body workout, um, when you do it. So yeah, I feel like that was probably one of the things that really helped. <laughs> it's like super, a super practical approach to training. Um, I love it. Which yeah. I feel like we did back 
back then, right? Like, you know, it wasn't fancy. It was just kind of like rugged and organic and just, um, yeah, just kind of simple and practical, like you said. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, well, let's get into some, uh, a few questions that we have. Uh, first one's from Brittany. She says, I started racing in 2019 with a local weeknight road racing series that has a mix of road races, time trials, and criteriums. So that sounds like what a lot of us have in our local regions. I was really nervous at first, but with friendly persuasion, I took the plunge and I'm so grateful. The local community is great in our, in our city, but we have very small fields. With racing hopefully coming back in 2021, I'd love to do some larger USAC sanctioned events in our region, but I'm really nervous about riding in such big fields. Uh, so I have a lot of questions, so hopefully you can answer them all. Uh, here's her first one. She says, I've done nine races and have yet to win any of them. I'm bigger than most girls I race, so I don't do well on climbs, but usually finish in the top three in a sprint on our flat criterium course. Our field is usually seven to 10 riders and nobody's higher than a cat three. So I'm really nervous about racing in these larger USAC fields. Should I try to win our local races first before jumping into these bigger fields? It's a good question. That's a great question. Um, and I want to just touch on one thing because I'm five, nine and raced a majority of my bike racing career in like the 150 pound range. I'm not a small person, so I'm hoping she doesn't let her size determine her success or lack of success on the bike, because I feel like we're the same in a lot of ways. Like I'm not a great climber, but I can do well in crits. So that's one thing. People typically were really scared of me because I was so big in the field. So use it to your advantage. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And in terms of winning um, your local events, I think it's more beneficial. Yes, winning is fun, but I would say it's more important to try and win in different ways than it is to just do the same thing every time. And what I mean is, um, you know, I know you have small fields, but you know, maybe one race, you win it in a field sprint, you try to win it in a field sprint and it didn't happen or it didn't work out. And you try to figure out why it didn't work out or maybe what mistake you made. Um, and then the next time, maybe you try to take a last lap flyer and you go off the front solo and try to win that way. And maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. Um, I think the, more important thing than just winning is learning how to be a bike racer and thinking about winning and how to win and why you didn't win when you went for it um, is more important than the actual result itself, especially mm. getting started. Um, I feel like that'll carry you a lot further than um, just being, I won this race in the same way every time um, mm -hmm. and this is what I can do. So she might get those sort of broader experiences by jumping into the larger fields and she, yeah. it's, it's not a prerequisite to win, to jump up into that. Right. Absolutely not. And I don't know if she has, um, you know, the women, I don't remember specifically what the rule is, but if she can jump into a men's category three race or something and get a little bit of more experience, even if it's just 20, 25, you know, guys that that's more experience, you know, you can just say, Hey, I'm just here trying to get some experience in some fields, um, and get some comfort. So they awesome. know that, that allowed to, those are good tips. Uh, her second question, what advice do you have for a nervous rider that is used to small fields and racing against a large field for the first time? Ooh, great question. Um, don't be nervous. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> just don't, there we go. That's it. That's not easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Line up on the front, just go from the gun, <laughs> yeah. all of those things. Um, you know, I think the, the most important thing is because it's easy to be intimidated by larger fields and you get on the start line, and you're like, oh my gosh, look at all of these really strong women that I'm competing against. Um, and to really sort of talk yourself out of doing well because you're allowing the external things to impact you. And realistically, you can only control the controllables, which is you, right? So if she can just try to control her nerves and say, I'm just going to ride like I know how to ride and I'm not going to worry about the other people and I'm just going to try my best and I'm not going to let these external things impact my, my headspace. Um, because she deserves to be there. Everybody started from somewhere. Um, you know, I have my first USA cycling license where it says I was a cat four. So, I mean, it's, you know, we all started at some point and, um, just because you're new, it doesn't make it make you less deserving to be there, um, compared to people who've raced 
four or five times as much as, as you have. So I think that's the big thing. Like you deserve to be there and to learn and to make the most of your experience there. Awesome. Uh, her next question, are there specific ways to race that only work with small fields or large fields? So maybe like what she's talking about there is like a tactic that works with a small field that just would not work in a large field or vice versa. Yeah. So I think if you ask anybody, the experience would be that a smaller field is actually more difficult to compete in because there's fewer people to share the workload. So, um, you might find that you have to be a little bit more proactive with your effort level in a small field. Um, whereas in a large field, you might be able to sit back and do less work and hide and be a little bit more conservative. So, um, I would say in the smaller fields, you could almost take more of those risks and more of those, um, learning opportunities and, and varying their, um, like, how do I win this bike race? You know, like I might, you know, in a small field, you might attack them and try to go off the front, or you might try to win. Even if it's only four people, you might try to win the bunch sprint. Whereas in a, in a larger field, you might just try to be more efficient and work on other things. Like as a new rider, um, today I'm going to work on staying in the top 15 of this course because it's super technical and it's really windy. So if I don't have good positioning, I might get blown out the back. So different, different things to focus on depending on, you know, where you're at with your learning, but also what kind of field you're in. Awesome. Those, these are great. Uh, question four, she says there aren't many women's teams in our region, but in these USAC races, I will likely be racing a solo against them. What tips do you have for racing against teams as a solo rider? Um, don't let teams bully you into doing work. You're not meant to do like a lot of times people will be like, you have to do the share of your work. Like you can't just sit in. You can like, don't let people bully you into doing work because it's all just a ploy to get you to be tired so that they can beat you in the end. Um, <laughs> That's the big dirty secret of the whole thing, the right? Big, dirty secret. And I'm guilty of it. I have done it. I have, you know, I've been on both the receiving end and the giving end of it. So don't fall for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, don't also try not to take yourself out of the race because you are by yourself. You can do well in a race because you are solo. Like you just might not be able to win because you don't have teammates to chase down a breakaway or something like that. But let's say a team and, you know, two teams have like five riders and they get to, uh, each one of them off the front. You could still win the field sprint. You know, you know that those teams are going to do a lead out for someone else on their team um, at the end. So maybe you just use that to your advantage and you get third. So I think don't count yourself out just because you're by yourself. It just might be, you might have to reframe it from like, I can win this to I'm going to take what I can get given the fact that I'm racing against three teams that have like eight people on it or whatever. So that pressure to win is a really common thing that I see a lot of athletes put on themselves and I do it to myself. So I'll just speaking for myself here, not pointing any fingers at anybody listening, I, a lot of the time put undue pressure on myself to win when really I can't win. Like I'm not going to win that race. And in, if instead I looked at it and said, well, how can I get the best finish or achieve some sort of outcome? Then the race would probably be more productive, right? I'd probably learn more. I'd say that was a good, you phrased that really well. It made me realize I could be better at that. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks. Appreciate it, Erica. Uh, number five. She, uh, she says, this is the last one. She says, most of these USAC events allow for more than one race per day as a new cat five. What should I do in between races? I don't know if you had many stage races where they did like one stage and another stage in the same day. I know with track racing for sure, they, that's not uncommon, but yeah. uh, what tips do you have for that in between races? Like what should she do? Um, obviously fuel and hydration are super important. Um, you know, the general rule that I always went by when I was racing is you never really wanted to eat a lot of heavy food two hours before your race. So, you know, if let's say you race at 9am, you race for 30 minutes plus three laps and you get done, let's say 945 ish, but your next race goes off at, um, see now 10, 12 or one o'clock. You want to make sure right after that, that finished event, you get something really good in your system, um, so that you're not, eating something that's too heavy to digest before you race again, because racing on a stomach full of food is not 
pleasant at all. (laughs) Um, so, you know, that part is really important. And then, um, so simple things like in the summertime, um, did you say where she's from? She didn't say where she's from. No. She just said small town. Yeah. Okay. Well, if she lives somewhere where it gets really hot in the summertime, which most places do, but like Georgia, it gets super hot and very humid. Um, Staying in the shade, stay out of the sun. I know a lot of bike riders like to work on their tan lines and stuff, but that's very energy zapping. Um, So staying in the shade. And personally, I really tried to like not socialize and not be Mm -hmm. too caught up in the social scene of stuff because it's just... um, I personally would lose focus on what my goal was or what the task was. Um, and maybe she thrives on social things and it might not work for her, but I think it's always just really beneficial to just kind of fuel hydrate and stay out of the sun. Um, and just kind of not isolate, but just stick like stay away. So you can just focus on yourself and not feel pressure to, you know, say hi to your friends or, go to the cafe or do things that you don't feel are conducive to you doing well in the second one and then be ready to suffer because two races in one day is really hard and <laughs> it's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I noticed the same thing with the socialization aspect. I have to like, I have to tune out. Um, that's just me though. We've talked about that on the podcast before. So don't feel bad if you're that person, if you just need your space, it's okay. Even though if everybody's talking, it's okay. Yeah. If people think that you're not a nice person because you don't like to socialize at bike races, that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Be kind in all the other ways. Right. Um, Christopher's question. He says, I ride bikes a lot with my mates in uni and I got into cycling after that doing the occasional group ride or sportif, but I was never competitive and mostly did it just to pass a good time with my friends. For six years now, I've taken an even more casual approach to racing that mostly sees me showing up when I lose a bet with my mates. (laughs) So he says, however, that's all changing now. I signed up for Trainer Road in 2020 during lockdown and look forward to Australia's crit season. So here's my issue. I've gotten a lot faster since using Trainer Road and it has found me at the front of groups from which I would, I used to be dropped. Initially, I could, I couldn't believe I was at the front and I was overcome with excitement. I go to the front with a vulgar display of power, but I quickly realized I didn't know what I was doing through turns and descents as made evident by the yelling from the other riders in the group. I've realized I didn't know how to pick a good line, manage braking and pedaling and carrying momentum through turns, unless I'm following somebody in short, I can corner fine if I have somebody to follow, but not on my own. Is this a common problem and how can I fix it? Signed a racer who wants to not bodge every turn. <laughs> so this is actually pretty common, I think, right, Erica, where like athletes, you know, following the wheels and, and being in the wheels, that's, that's one thing, but then going solo is, is different. What tips would you have in this case? Um, great question. And I just want to touch on, um, for people who do listen to this podcast, you know, he said that he was going to uni and I think the collegiate bike racing scene is a great way to develop your bike racing skills because it allows these young people to really, um, focus on bike racing as, and it's like way casual, less stressful. So that's awesome. Um, and in terms of getting better in the corners or not bodging, is that was his word? Yeah. Bodging. Yeah. Yeah. bodging every corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, and this is sort of funny, the, the ancient Chinese secret that Jame always gave us about cornering is that when you hit your brakes in a corner, you're making a choice. You're choosing to slow down. Um, and it sounds kind of harsh, but when you think about it and you're following that person in front of you going X miles per hour and you're not falling down when you're going through that corner, you have to say to yourself, well, I can go this fast and not fall down. So there's no reason why if you can do it behind that person that you can't do it on your own, you're choosing to hit your brakes and go through it slower under this idea that you're going to like fall down or do something not fun. When in reality, you've already experienced those corners at a speed greater than what you're already going through it yourself. So I think just realizing like, letting go, you see people race with their hands on their brakes, like all the time, like they're ready to break, like constantly, um, just kind of taking your fingers off the brakes and understanding that if you can go through the corner at 25 miles an hour with the person in front of you, you can do that by yourself. Like it's not, um, it's not going to magically make you fall if you, you don't have a wheel in front of you and you go through the corner in the same speed. Um, and the other thing is just, practice, like practice, practice, practice. I have seen, you know, really talented bike riders who can't descend or corner 
not, um, what is it? Train your weakness. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you can go up this mountain really fast and you do it all the time because you're really good at it. If you can't descend or you can't corner, um, that's a problem. So you have to train and work on the things that you're not good at. Um, so if that means jumping into more crits and, um, you know, afterwards, if you bodge it up and you talk to the people, be like, well, what can I do? Ask them, be like, what can I do better? What did I do? Like try to learn and hear from them, you know, cause they're in the race with you. But, um, yeah, I think the men- mental side of it is just choosing not to break in the corners. Um, and then I guess just being a sponge, like taking a good line in the corners and stuff like that. That's all stuff you have to like consciously say, okay, in this race, in this corner, this is how we took that line. And it was really smooth. And then behind this person, I took it on the inside and it was really awful. So, um, a lot of trial and error and just really being a conscious bike rider and going back to the car and saying, okay, what did I learn from that? Mm. Um, I think it's really easy to finish a bike race and just be like, Oh, that was it. Okay. On to the next without actually like breaking it down and trying to figure out what went well and what didn't go well. Yeah. This makes sense. Looking at your career, how you were able to achieve that championship, you know, chipping away and giving yourself all the opportunities to practice all this, right. Which, um, super important. Cool. Um, I, I just have a handful of questions that I generated. I didn't, uh, nobody else submitted these, these ones I submitted. Um, uh, but I want to ask a few of these, so kind of like not necessarily rapid fire, but first, (laughs) and this one actually dovetails into what we talked about just before this, but when you talk about practicing those skills, a lot of the time I ask pro athletes, like, how do you train when you're in the midst of the race season? And usually they're like, well, the racing is the intensity. So then I just do easy rides outside of it. But how did you train the phys or the, the tactical and technical aspects of racing? Because that was so crucial to your success as a crit racer. Did you actually do drills throughout the season as a professional rider as well? Or how did you touch up those, those skill sets? So a lot of the stuff that I practiced, um, that I attributed to the main season would be things in the off season. So we did a lot of mountain biking. Um, we would do, like I said, the fixed gear riding, um, just doing things during the off season that you practice there so that when you get to the main season, you're not thinking about practicing and improving your cornering skills. And I highly recommend that bike riders get on the mountain bike and, or get on the cross bike. You know, we did a lot of gravel stuff, a lot of cycle cross stuff, and all of those things cross over into each discipline. Um, but you don't want to go into a, a racing season when you're trying to achieve your goals you don't want to be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to win this race, but in that process of that race, I'm also going to really improve my cornering skills and my pack skills and all of these things. Mm-hmm. So work on what you can in the off season when the pressure's off, um, so that you can just go into the main season and really focus on those things. Um, so yeah, I think there's just, there's a time and a place to do it. And of course in a pack, you know, if you're working on your pack skills and, and having good positioning, you can only really do that when you're in a pack, but there are other things you can do in the off season that will help make the the main season a little bit easier. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Great tips. What was, what are the like ideal, if you could just like paint the story of a race, what are the ideal final three laps for, or like for you? Um, perfect lead out where (laughs) no one's fighting for your wheel. Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about protecting your inside or anybody out of position jumping you because they are panicked that they're out of position. Um, so yeah, I mean, the thing, one of the really great things about bike racing is that it's, and one of the reasons why I love crit racing is because there's always something happening. And so you can have this idea of what the, perfect last three laps are like, like, of course I would love to be on the blue train and have an amazing lead out and not have anybody fighting for position and all that, but that's not realistic, right? Like, (laughs) you know, um, so, and you just don't know what's going to happen. I think so even if I could create like this amazing three lap, like perfect last three laps of a race and it might not even go that way. Cause that's how bike racing is. Um, and I think that's one of the things I would tell people is, you know, you have to be open-minded in the sport because you can go, okay, well, I know this group is going to do a lead out and this is what's going to happen. And they're going to work for this person, but that doesn't attribute for the fact that rider X has just gone off the front. And now your plan is completely thwarted and you're like 
frantic because you're like, well, I was going to do this bike race because this is how I was going to do well. And now it's not going to plan. So, um, have a rough idea of what you want to do, but don't, don't hold to it. Cause usually like nine times out of 10, that's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. That's why that's like you said, that's what makes bike racing so much fun is that it is dynamic and it keeps you on your toes and it makes you respond to things that are unexpected. It's all just super engaging. Um, last question then looking back at your career, what do you wish you did more of and what do you wish you did less of? Um, so at the very end of my racing career in 2019, I got to go over to, um, Europe. I raced in the Netherlands and Germany. We went back and forth for just a couple races in there and they were flat races. And I raced, I feel like I raced really well over there. And throughout a majority of my career, I had always turned away from racing in Europe because I never felt like I was ready I was like in the early years of my career, I always was saying, well, I'm not dominant domestically. So I don't want to go to Europe because I don't want to go to Europe and not be competitive. Like if I want, I want to be competitive and dominant in the United States. And then we'll consider, um, you know, going over to Europe. And I wish at a certain point in my career, um, and I don't know, cause I'm, I was making really good money in crits and I was really enjoying my time racing crits, but I liked, so I, I liked the change of scenery in those races. You know, you can do certain races so many times and they kind of become boring. So I wish I would have gone over and done more um, European, like flatter powery type of races. Um, I, I feel like I was really good at those when I did those. Um, and then what I wish I would have done less of not trying as hard in training. <laughs> as um, you know, I had a lot of opportunities, um, that like I went and I started pursuing the team pursuit program on the track and I just mentally was not engaged in it as much as I think I should have been. And if I could go back in time, I probably would have tried a lot harder because I think I could have gone places if I actually applied myself and my talent. Um, more than I did. So I think, yeah, I would have let, I would have done less, not trying. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, Erica, this has been a blast to have you on. Thanks for doing this. Um, also thanks for, for reaching out at different times and listening to the podcast and everything else. It's cool to, to know that we have you as a listener and it's just super cool. So, and congratulations on being a fourth grade teacher and being a hero for so many kids. <laughs> It's just incredible. Uh, what a great thing that we have uh, having good people like you teaching. So, uh, Erica, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do it? Great question. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, my email, I'm pretty easy. I, yeah, just shoot me a message, reach out, Twitter, anything like that. I don't know what all my handles are. They're all different because of my maiden name and my current name. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Strava. I don't ride that much right now, but, um, yeah, just, I'm always open and willing, especially if someone wants some, uh, some suggestions or help or anything like that as a new racer, Brittany, um, <laughs> <laughs> just feel free to message. Awesome. We'll put links down to, uh, Erica's different accounts down there. So you can see them down in the description. If you enjoy this episode, give it a thumbs up on YouTube, or if you're listening, share it with your friends, uh, rate the podcast five stars on whichever app you're using. It's all really helpful and will help other cyclists hear this, that, that maybe it's going to give them that one bit of knowledge that they need to be able to rekindle excitement for the sport, get faster, achieve what they've been meaning to achieve any number of different things. So Erica, thanks a bunch. And, uh, we'll have to have you on again soon. Um, it'd be fun to have you on with Amber and, and talk a bunch of different nuances of, of, of women's racing in particular. So that would be amazing. Super fun. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to, uh, being back and just hearing episodes going forward. <laughs> cool. Thanks Erica. Thank you.